We are finishing up a series <laughs> this week, The Jesus That I Know. And that series was actually birthed in February when Pastor Sherry was sharing with us about how she and Kevin came to, Pastor Kevin, sorry about that, came to know one another, meet each other in their story. And, and it was good and it was rich and it was funny and it was strong and right in the middle of it. It was like walking in a swimming pool and the water's good and all of a sudden you hit that ledge where it begins to descend into deeper waters or, you know, or you get shoved over that edge and you're just like, okay, something, you just went deep and now you're over your head. And that was something that happened that morning and the Holy Spirit just pervaded this space and, and it was strong and, and you know it has impact when it hits the back row and I was on the back row and <laughs> I'm just saying God keeps me usually up close. He knows me and, uh, but it was rich and it was deep. And, and, I, and me being me, I just went, God, what just happened? What just happened? And the Holy Spirit just said, when you share about the Jesus that you know, there's power. There is power in sharing about the Jesus that you know. And I don't know about you, but the last few weeks with the testimonies, I have felt a deeper anointing. I have felt a richness in the spirit. And it is no coincidence that we have uh, Kirk coming to finish this series for us because the Jesus that he knows is one that you really need to know. Can you welcome Pastor Kirk? I've been given the keys to the clicker. I'm excited. <sighs> Man, I just, uh, I just want to take this in for a minute because around two years ago, I was on this stage. And I didn't know after that if it would ever happen again. Because a lot of stuff's happened in my life those two years. And so, sorry to get all serious. I just wanted to take that moment in for, for a second. Um, just to kind of give you all a little peek behind the curtain. Um, when planning this series, I think Justin and Barbie were instrumental in doing most of the planning. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't know, me and Justin, we do life together. Not that me and Barbie don't, but me and Justin, we talk at least three to four days a week. We work out together, and I know what you're thinking. Yes, Justin works out. Okay? I know by looking at it, you couldn't tell that, but he works out, okay? And so, Justin started to, you know, kind of lay groundwork. You know, we're going to these two services, you know. It might be a good time for you to, you know, get up there again and speak. And I was like, no, man, I'm good. And I knew Justin, you know, if he'd asked, I'd have told him no. But Barbie sent me a text message, and I was like, oh, Justin just did me dirty, man. Because you don't tell Barbie no. If you tell Barbie no, you might want to check your walk with Jesus, okay? And I don't mean to say that as like, she'll get mad at you if you say no. I just mean, I really trust the spirit that God has placed inside Barbie. And so in all honesty, when I looked down and saw the text message from Barbie, instantly I had a peace because I knew it was time to tell the story from the last two years and part of my original testimony, which I kind of call this the tale of two testimonies. And so if y'all can stand with me, we're going to read a scripture. All right. Greater love has no, no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. 
For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that we are your friends, God. That you look at us and you call us friends, Lord. I thank you that your word is breathing and active, and that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord. And I thank you for the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, God. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I chose this verse because, honestly, it took me a while to look at Jesus as my friend. You know, Barbie talked about in the first service how there's many different seasons where Jesus has been different things to me. He's been a father. But something I always had trouble with was calling him a friend. And I had to get to a certain point in my life to where I could call Jesus my friend. And so I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about my original testimony. I mean, some of you have heard it, but it's, it's a really great testimony of Jesus, really. And so, you know, growing up, I grew up with, you know, my mom and dad. They both loved me. Uh, we am, uh, played sports, had my support, full support of my family. And then, uh, I guess around eight, nine years old, my parents got divorced. And so I started to learn, like, with my dad, he loved me, but he didn't tell me he loved me. He didn't sh- know how to show me he loved me. And so, like, the day he told me, he's like, hey, me and your mom are going to get divorced. We're riding in a truck. And I'm cry. And he's like, oh, but I'm going to go buy you five Nintendo games. And I'm like, yay. And so, but that's how my dad showed love was, hey, I'm going to buy you something to make you feel better. And so that's not to fault my dad. It's just, that's just what he knew. And so as that happened, you know, my parents were divorced, started having a broken home. And then when I was around 11 years old, my dad died. Now, I used to stand up here and tell you my dad took his own life, but some developments have happened I'm not going to go into. So my dad either took his own life or he was murdered. We don't know, but because the Jesus I know now, it doesn't matter. If he, if he took his own life or was murdered, I've, I've made peace with that a long time ago. And so I've been free from that. And so, but after the, his death, I was 11 years old. I, uh, I didn't really know where to turn. I was the fifth of five children. I was the only boy, four older sisters. And I'll tell you what, I have a boy now and he's hard to handle. My mom didn't know how to handle me. She loved me. I had a praying mom. But she was just not sure how to handle a boy. <laughs> and so, but I basically had five moms. My oldest sister's 20 years older than me. But I started turning to, um, 13 years old, I started turning to alcohol and drugs. And so that was a pattern in my life for many years. I was in and out of jail five different times. Every time my mom was there waiting for me, arms wide open. Let me make you breakfast, son. She loved me. She prayed for me. Um, and then something, something happened. I uh, felt like something was chasing me away from Memphis. And so what I thought I was doing was literally coming to Nashville to die. A lot of my friends told me that, that we thought we, you were going to go to Nashville and we were going to hear about you dying. Because I wanted to get away from a place where people cared for me. I wanted just to get away from it. It was too hard for people to care for me. And so I don't know if anybody's read the Chronicle of Narnia series. There's a book called The Horse and His Boy. And the horse and his boy are running because they think this lion is chasing them because he wants to devour them. He wants to eat them. But really what the lion is doing is pushing them to where God needs them to be. And that's essentially what was happening to me from Memphis to Nashville. God was pushing me. There was, there was something chasing me. I didn't know what it was at first, but something was chasing me to Nashville. And so I came to Nashville. 
And so I uh, got invited. I am, uh, got on a website. It was called roommates.com. And <laughs> I didn't even know it was a website. I just typed it in. And then what you do is you put your profile on there and people who are looking for roommates, you know, like say, oh, he fits our profile. I'll give him an email. I'll, ring, I'll give him a ring. And so I'm showing my age. We give him a ring. And so, um, <laughs> and so uh, this guy emailed me. He's like, hey, man, you kind of forget. You kind of you fit the description of what we're looking for in his roommate because you know, I didn't put alcohol drug addict on my profile. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so uh, we talked a couple times and, uh, you know, he's like, hey, I'm just, I'm going to send you a key to the house. You can move in this weekend because I'm not going to be there. And I'm like, yeah, you just sent a drug addict a key to your house and you're not going to be there. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, I moved in, uh, looked at, they had some pictures. I kind of went through his stuff because he wasn't there, just kind of spy on him. And he had some pictures, and I realized he went on a mission trip, and I was like, I'll clean this up. I, oh, no, I moved in with Christians. And so, and it turned out to be Brian Ensminger and Jeff Butterworth. And, and so, let me tell you something. If y'all don't know Brian Ensminger, I wish he was in here to stand up, but if you, you want to meet a solid dude that's going to give you straight scripture if you have a problem, that's the guy you need to go to. And it's going to be solid advice every time. And so it turned out after, you know, being here a while, um, spoiler alert, I got saved. Um, uh, <laughs> um, they prayed for an unbeliever. They were spending time together praying for an unbeliever to move in with them. And so they invited me to the church, which at the time was this church called Smyrna Assembly. And I started coming and... I liked what I was hearing. And so it, it became part of my routine because I wanted my new roommates to like me. I was living a good life here, but what you don't know at that time, my mom was dying. She had lung cancer. And so I would come here, work, go to church some Sundays because the other weekends I was going home to my mom, see my mom. And she, uh, I, when I'd go back to Memphis, I'd go see my mom. I'd go out, get drunk, do drugs again be up all weekend, and then drive from Memphis to Nashville to go to work Monday morning. And so this was my cycle from February to September. And so in September, my sisters gave me a call, and they said, you need to get home because mom's not, not, not going to make it much longer. So I came home, and my mom passed away. And so the day of her funeral, we went to the funeral, celebrated my mom, and after it, I went out and I got drunk and I did drugs. The next morning I woke up, well, actually, let me, the next morning I went home to my mom's house and my sisters were all married, had their own families and they all went home. And I was in my mom's house all alone in her bedroom and I fell on my knees crying and I just prayed to the Lord, first real prayer in my life. And I literally felt a touch on my arm. Now, there's nobody in there. And I stood up in that moment, and I knew it was all gone. I knew it was done. I stood up, and I knew I was done with alcohol. I knew I was done with drugs. And I told God, I'll go anywhere in the world 
and tell people what you did for me today. And so I came back. I came back to Nashville. I made sure to stay away from Memphis for many, many months just to, just to be safe. Um, I am a, joined a young adult ministry here. And just so y'all know, what Jeremy Needham are running that revamp ministry, let me tell you, most of all the big and good relationships I have came from the young adult ministry here. There was a, it was a group called Strive. I met a, a young pastor named Kevin O'Day in that group. I met Justin in that group. I met Brad White in that group, Chad Dickey, Jesse Berry, a young girl named Sherry Nelson was in that group. You might know her as Sherry O'Day today. I met Brittany Sweeney, Brittany Grisham today. I met all these people that I still do life with today through a young adult group. And I started plugging, I got baptized. I became a leader in that group. I became a leader in the youth. I started, I started just growing in the Lord. I started, you know, after I got baptized, I was like, what do I do now? And I called somebody and they were like, well, you should go meet Bruce. Go meet Bruce Coble. And I was like, okay. And I was like, who's this guy? And I started meeting with him. And ah, man, talk about another guy full of truth and scripture. <laughs> and so then God called me to do missions in Kenya. <laughs> you know, I told him I'd go anywhere in the world and he held me up to that end. And so I went to Kenya for two years and started and did missions for two years with the full support of this house. And so I was there for two years as a single man. I came home and seven days later, I went on a date with Tina. Yeah, yeah, she's happy too. <laughs> so that was seven days after coming home in July. We were engaged in September, married in December. And so we're going to celebrate seven years this year. <laughs> Not quite the 34 years, but we'll get there. And so we met, and you know, we had to have that define the relationship talk earlier. Like, hey, I'm going back to Kenya. So if that's not something you're down for, maybe we should. Oh, and she, and she, she was down. <laughs> and so we um, uh, went back to missions. We went, we went back to Kenya together. Our first day back in Kenya, we found out that we were pregnant with a baby. We thought she had malaria. <laughs> <laughs> and so we found out we were pregnant and we had our little daughter, Makaya, who's four years old. She was born in Kenya. She's got a Kenyan birth certificate. And, but see, which, what, everything looked great. I was in missions. I was married. I had children. I got full support of my church. I got great friends. I, I've lost my mom and dad, but I have mothers and fathers all over the world that love me. But what you don't know is I was battling sin on the inside. And it was killing me. I was putting on this front. You know, I got saved. I did all the things. I checked all the boxes. But there was something inside of me dying inside, and I was trying to hide. And so me and Tina made the decision. We came, we came home, N not because of sin, because we wanted to raise our daughter here. We wanted to come home and raise her here. Um, and so I started dealing with this sin. And so I, I, did this, I did this repentance to God. Oh, Lord, I repent of that sin. Just forgive me, and I can move on. It was conditional repentance. Because what I wanted to do is I wanted to, to repent without like having to tell anybody anything. Yeah. I didn't want to have to tell anybody because I didn't want to expose myself. 
And so we came home. We started adjusting back. We started adjusting. I saw Justin, so I said Justin. <laughs> we started adjusting back to life here in the U.S. But what was happening is sin was eating away on the inside of me. It was slowly, slowly just eating away at me. But things kept happening, like good things. And I was like, what are you doing, God? Stop this. Because what it, I feel like I was being smoked out. <laughs> like because I wanted to keep hiding. I just wanted to come home, and I just wanted to sit in my seat, and I just wanted to stay away. I just wanted to be a church member. There's nothing wrong with being a church member, but that's all I, that's all I want to do. Just please just kind of leave me alone. And if you knew me before that, I was one of, I'm the biggest extrovert in the world, but I was hiding. And so all of a sudden, I became the young adult pastor here. Um, which God used, I'm not saying God didn't use any of this, and none of this was God ordained. But it was, I didn't know why. I was like, why me? Because I, I don't want to do this stuff. But I kept saying yes, because I felt like it would help me cover up everything else I was going through. I was made an elder at the church. Yeah, I'm an elder here. And so, and then I was made campus pastor at LCA. And so all these things are happening, and I'm just like, I don't understand why you're doing this, God. But I'm just going to keep saying yes, so nobody will find out what I'm going through. Because who's going to look at that guy and be like, oh, he's struggling. No, I got it all together. Look at me. I can smile. And so it, helped, it was helping me conceal the sin, I thought. But really what was happening is the walls were closing in. The walls were closing in on me. And then to top all that off, around two years ago, and this is what I was referring to at the beginning, I was asked to speak on a Sunday morning for the first time. And I was grateful. But I was scared. I wasn't a nervous. I was scared. And I was worried. If I get out there on a Sunday morning, they're going to find me out. And so I studied, and I memorized, and I did everything I could to make sure I couldn't get found out that Sunday. And let me tell you, God blessed the Sunday. God used the word. But it was, it, was, it was all a work for me. It was all hard, and I was struggling. I was standing up there the whole time like, please don't let me mess up. Please don't let me mess up. Don't let them find me, don't let them find me out. Don't let them find me out, Lord. And I had no peace. I was still fighting it. I just, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't repent. I couldn't, I couldn't go back to the Lord because I was, I was a pastor. Two months later, I was asked to do offering after speaking on that Sunday. And in first service, I got up here and I came out to speak and I stood here and I forgot everything I was supposed to say. It was starting to happen. It was starting to implode. I couldn't remember a thing. Finally, I just go, hey, everybody, can you just bring your offering down? And I walked off. Second service, I memorized a bunch of stuff real quick, came out here, got through it, left, got out of here. That same week, I had an incident happen at the school where it just all came to a head. And can I just do a little side note? A lot of people have said to me, like, Oh, I know, man, it's hard working with those kids. It had nothing to do with that. It had nothing to do with the kids. It had everything to do with sin I was concealing in my life and trying to hide. 
It just happened in that moment. In a moment that it shouldn't have happened. And so what happened then was I was, I was exposed. I felt I was exposed finally for the things I was hiding. And so the next two weeks were some of the hardest two weeks of my life. I, I didn't want to commit suicide, but I had thoughts of dying. I, I was thinking of ways to die. It was bad enough where my wife was sent home from work where she had to stay with me for two weeks. And so finally, we and Tina were just driving around. And I was like, go to Bruce's house. Go to Bruce Coble's house. And she was like, oh, well, we need to call him. I was like, just call him and tell him we're coming. Don't ask nothing. So tell him we're coming over. So I went over to Bruce's house. And he, as Bruce does, reminded me of who I am in Christ. Reminded me of the person I am. And I left there after having a really good cry, feeling better. I was feeling better. But I still had no repentance, no confession. I was like, okay, this is better. I can start to, I can start to get better. You know, this, this is going to be great now, okay? I've got through this. I didn't have to confess anything. Good. So finally, I did repent to the Lord, hoping that was just going to be enough. Lord, I repent. Like, it was real repentance. And I was hoping that was going to be enough. So I started, you know, looking for another job. And I found another job, and they hired me. And I was like, this is great. I went to get the physical, and to pass the Department of Transportation Physical, which is a DOT physical, you got to pass eyesight. And I don't know if y'all, y'all can't really tell, but this thing's thick right here. <laughs> and I couldn't read anything, and I failed this DOT physical. And they can't hire you for this job if you don't pass the DOT physical. So on my ride home, I had my Jesus in the garden moment because I knew what I had to do. And I was like, can this cup be taken from me, Lord? So let me, t- please don't make me do this because I knew what I had to do is go home and talk to my wife. So I went home and waited for my wife to get off work, which seemed like it took 10 hours because I'm just like looking out the windows like, she home? Is she home? I, need, I, just need to, I just need to talk. I need to get it off this chest. Get this off my chest while I have this confidence. And what happened next was, was horrible, but, but not horrible also. Because confessing was hard, but the weight that was lifted was much better. Two years I carried that. Two years I hid. Two years I was running. I need that scripture up. Psalm 118. So Psalm 118 says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I feared my wife's reaction. I feared, man, not that she was going to hurt me. I was scared what, her, what, she, what, you know, what she might do. I was fearing my wife instead of the Lord. I came here, I feared my church leaders. I feared that they were going to you know, kick me out of church and everybody was going to know what I did and everybody was going to hate Kurt. And I met with Ronnie and Kevin. 
And the thing about meeting with Ronnie, a lot of times he never gives you the reaction you think he's going to give you. <laughs> like you play it out in your head, and it's never, it's never the way you play it out. It's, it's mostly better. <laughs> there are some times where you're like, dang, Ronnie, that one hurt. And so, but what happened was, I, you know, I looked at God and I wanted to be punished. Please punish me because that's going to make it easier than having to deal with it. Just punish me. And I came and met with Kevin and Ronnie and they didn't punish me. They loved me. I was like, y'all need to kick me off the elders. Y'all need to take me off young adult ministry. You need to take me out of all of this. And they just like, whoa, 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 whoa. And they loved me. And they loved me. You know, it's funny with Kevin. I am a, I, I see a lot of things. And I know Ke- there's, there's, there's people here that have wronged Kevin. Standing on the stage, I've wronged Kevin. He would never, ever make you feel that way. I told him one time, I've never seen a better example of someone who exemplifies Jesus because that's the same thing the apostles did. I felt like I kept disappointing and disappointing and disappointing. I felt like Peter. But he just continued to love and love and love. And so this happened. And so what happened now was was starting to, to heal, was to start healing as a family. But the difference from that testimony and this one, the first one, is this time I had a foundation in Jesus. This time I looked at Jesus as father when I first got saved because I didn't have a dad. I looked at him as father and it was great. But soon I started looking at him as a father who wants to punish me. Somehow, somewhere in there it switched. And that switch was because of sin. It wasn't because of anything my father in heaven did. But then now I started to look at him as a friend. Things started to settle down. Uh, I started reading again. I wasn't reading because I would read to prepare lessons, but that was the only reason. There was no time for me and Jesus alone. I was only reading so people wouldn't find me out. I was praying to not be found out, but I was really talking to Jesus again. Uh, we, I found a job and I excelled at it. I, um, marriage started flourishing. Things started happening. I, we had another baby. We had a baby boy. And he's awesome. You might see him run around here with a little cute helmet on. <laughs> and I started to hear Jesus' voice again. And I spent so much time trying to run from it. I didn't want to hear it. When I'd pick up my Bible, I'd read it, and then I realized it's trying to tell me something, and I'd shut it. I was like, I don't want to hear it. And so, but we started following again. And then soon after that, we, uh, we prayed, and we felt like Tina was, you know, she was to be a stay-at-home mom. Now, we were barely making ends meet. Um, and we made that decision that, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have her be a stay-at-home mom. And then we chickened out. <laughs> we chickened out. We looked at, you know, we, looked, we crunched the numbers, and we can't do that. But then God gave us a second chance. God gave us a second chance to do it. And so, I mean, I'll tell you, I'm a numbers guy. I am a, you know, we make 30000 less dollars than we make if Tina was working and when she was working, we barely could make ends meet. And somehow now with just me working, we're saving for a house. Yeah. God math doesn't make sense. You're trying to make logic out of an illogical situation, okay? All right, so can we get that Matthew scripture up? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We trusted the Lord. It's some always wonder how many times we trust our ways or our Google Maps app more than we trust the Lord. <laughs> and so, because, you know, it tells you to get off the interstate. You're like, oh, I'm not sure. But you're like, okay, you know better ways. And so sometimes the God asks you to get off the beaten path. And it's like, okay, Lord, you know better than we do. And so we started, you know, God math doesn't work. The worship team, you can come out. Um, the last time I was on this stage, I was scared of Jesus. This time I'm friends with Jesus. But what kind of friend is this? What kind of, like, you know, looking at Jesus' friend, what kind of friend is he? You know, in Genesis, it tells, him, it tells us that let us create man in our image. And when I say man here, I mean mankind. I'm not just talking about me as a man. In our image, he re- we're created in his image. That's a friend. He wants to create us to be like him. He came from heaven to become man. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was fully man, just like we were, yet without sin. I always like to tell people, Jesus was a baby. Somebody had to change Jesus' diapers. I mean, it's true. And so he died for us. This friend, this friend of ours, he died for us. We said in the first verse, Greater love, have no love than this, than one who would die for his friends. In Romans, it tells us that God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, hey, get better first, and then, then, I'll, then I'll sacrifice myself for you. He died for us while we were still sinners. Jesus rose for us. He rose from the grave for us. It says Romans, for if we've been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united him with in, in a resurrection like his. We participate with him in his death. We also participate with him in his resurrection. This is, the, this is a friend I'd like to have. He didn't leave us alone. Jesus went to be with the Father and he didn't leave us alone. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. He won't leave me as an orphan. He sent a helper. He went to be with the Father. Right now, he's interceding on your behalf at the right hand of the Father. This is the Jesus I know. This is my friend, Jesus. And they're going to do a song here today. And I want to encourage you today. If you don't know how to talk to Jesus, just start talking to him. Open the conversation. You have the number. You have the phone number. It's there. Start talking to him. If you're wondering what kind of friend he is, start talking to him and ask him. I'm going to ask the elders to come down. And if you need prayer, they would be more than happy to pray for you. But I want you to know, like Ronnie said, you have the same access to Jesus that we have. 
And I want to let you know, this altar is open. If you need to come down and have a conversation with Jesus, it's here. It's here for you to come down and, and do that. Thank you, guys. I love you.